Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Hari and my partner, Hari, good looking today. Yep. Did you get it from Ulta? Uh, I did not. But, uh, <laughs> you introduced yourself as me, so oh. I'm going to go by Becco for the rest of the, the podcast. I wanted so. to hurry up and get to the meat of the podcast. Yeah, no, it's exciting. So, <laughs> All right. that's uh, You want to kind of... Yeah, so let's uh, let me uh, give you our little disclaimer here. Uh, we are talking about um, companies, and uh, you know we are not making investment decisions uh, for you or giving you investment advice. What we are trying to do is educate you and entertain you on how to understand a uh, a pod uh, or how to understand the analysis that we do as value investors. Mm -hmm. We are certainly not the only ones, you know, to you know offer value investing advice or any other financial advice but uh, or financial um, understanding but you know ultimately the we don't know your personal financial situation we are not your uh, financial advisor so we encourage you to um, do your own research and uh, talk to your um, financial advisor regarding your own personal needs so yep great all right let's move on to the next part two of uh, of Ulta yeah. So we had, you know, in the first part, we had talked about the business uh, and kind of established that, you know, they were a very strong brand um, with a, you know, very high loyalty. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the nobody cares how much money you make. It's how much you keep. So, you know, you know what, you know, does their, you know, does this moat that they've built, does it tr translate into high return on, yeah. on capital? Yeah. I like to kind of paint a little bit more context uh, and kind of take you through their income statements. Let's start with that. So in 2019, they made, let's see, the top line revenue, they made about, they made $6.7 billion top line, okay? And then you take out cost of goods sold, four point, about $4.3 billion, and you're left with a gross profit about of about $2.4 billion. And that's about 35%, 36% gross margin right there. And then from there, you travel down to SGNA, and then the EBIT, so the operating margin, is about 13%, 13 to 13 to 14%. And the net income, and all, if you go all the way down to net income, um, from, again, from 6.7 billion all the way down to net income of about 600, 600 and 500, $650 million, roughly, roughly speaking. So that's kind of the context we're talking about here. And if we look at kind of return on equity, return on capital employed, return on equity for 2019 was 20 or 36%. So if you look at, if you look at that number from the context of what it was before, let's see, starting from 2013, the return on equity was about 21%, and it just steadily climbed up to where it is today, 36%. So right there, you just, right there is is your answer. Yeah. So so let's also you know give the caveat: Do they have a lot of you know debt that could be um, skewing that number? Right? Yeah. So that's a good question because return on equity again, this is equity, guys. So asset minus all the equity, or all the liabilities, equity. So if you just have a whole lot of debt that could really skew this number. If you look at their debt, it's zero. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah. So return on equity, 36% is truly 36% right there. Yeah. So that's a, you know, that's a asset light kind of business because 
<clears throat> excuse me, they they their only assets are their inventory, really. Yeah. Right. I mean, they don't they lease a hundred percent of their stores. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, uh, look, if you can get a thirty six percent return, uh, you know, how, how, well, I guess you should we should you know couch this with what does that number mean, right? If I have a dollar. That means for every dollar I invest in this business, I get a 36% return. If I take that dollar and invest it somewhere else, can I get a 37% or higher return? Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I would invest outside of this business, right? Um, and the answer is no, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. You know, 10, 10% is what the S&P 500 would give you. Yep. Uh, 15% is considered really good. Yep. Um, so 36% is fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. Um and do you have any other uh, uh, return on capital um, yeah. metrics that you'd like to mention? Or? Yeah, I do like to mention return on capital employed. Uh, and so that's a- around 27% as well. So going back to 2013, if you look um, from 16% to 20 th- uh, 27%. So 16% in tw- 2013. 2019, that number jumped to 2017. So the company is really focused on driving the return on equity and you can see that from the number right there. And so, again, just to kind of wrap this up, the company is quite good at this question here. Yeah. Right? Is is the company able to translate its moat into high return on capital? I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I think that's an astounding yes. Okay. Financially, um, let's move on a little bit to sure. the, uh, the other parts of the financial statement. Sure. Um, does the company have enough cash um, to maintain its business? You know, are they... Are they, um, are they going to run out of money? You know, to service debt. Yeah, and and so wha- yeah. What's you know what does the cash balance look like and so on? Yeah, so they they built out the cash balance um, to about four hundred million in twenty nineteen, and then debt is zero. Yeah. So I mean, right there, uh, the the balance sheet looks very very healthy. And in terms of kind of current ratio, which is important to kind of keep track of, because you know. The, the company's doing expansion projects and things like that. Current ratio is important to to keep in track for ongoing kind of operational right. uh, uh, things. And the current ratio is 2.3. Um, so, you know, it, it it has a lot of... Yeah, so current ratio is current assets over current liabilities, yeah. which you want it to be above one. Yeah. And there's just twice that. So Exactly. You know. And then you can see that they kind of dwindle down from 3.7 to 2.3. Mm-hmm. from t- 2014 2019 so you know they they are expanding they are you know, e- expanding and expensing uh the their 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 expansion mm-hmm. with their their cash balance and things like that so it is going down but still it's qu- it's good looking quite healthy yep yeah okay um well so let's move on to then to free cash or cash flow itself sure you know so how much money are they able to generate uh free cash flow wise so, uh, you know, looking at historically as well as, you know, um, uh, sure. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Yeah. So free cash flow, um, if I take out, so I just took out, so free cash flow is not really clear on their annual report. So you got to make sure you take out the maintenance cap, CapEx, mm-hmm. not the entire you know, right. CapEx. And if you do that, uh, the free cash flow has been growing for 10 years. 35% annually. Mm-hmm. That's astounding in and of itself. But if you look at it kind of on a shorter term, shorter term horizon, three years, it's been growing at 55%. Free cash flow. So I, I think it's important to remember 
in 20 at the end of 2017 that tax cut and jobs act uh eliminated some of the you know a big percentage of their income tax so that yeah. helps boost a lot of their company yeah um so that 55% is obviously not sustainable but the 30% number is probably closer to where yeah uh and you know going back to what charlie munger said about return on equity and long term returns of the business yep that number 36% happens to also be their return on equity exactly so you know not n- not that that i mean it, that number is going to fluctuate a lot just like their return on equity did but sure. um like looking at that you know uh you know that free ca- that cash flow from operations number and free cash flow it seems to be fairly strong you yeah know? i just want to give you guys the context of what we're talking about we gave you the ratios the growth ratios let, let me give you uh, the actual hard numbers so 2019 the free cash flow that they generated uh was 900 million uh the year before that in 2018 uh, about 600 million 2017 470 million and if you go all the way back to 2017 or 2014 rather 200 million and yeah so on and so forth it, yeah so it's 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 quite strong and they've been free cash flow positive you know since 2000 uh 2010 i think yeah so so i think one thing to remember when you have you know we've talked about these you know businesses Mm -hmm. as businesses age they get to be more and more profitable in terms of free cash flow so that's why early on in our your business life cycle businesses are spending tons of money not making anything with the intent that they would invest to grow, you know, for the future. Yep. You know, Ulta is getting into its uh, middle age, you know, so on where, <clears throat> you know, it's making a lot more money than it needs. Yep. And, you know, the investments that it's made have been very profitable. So I think that's why you're seeing these, the free cash flow accelerate yep. here. Yep. Because they don't have to in- put the accelerator down on the growth engine. Yeah. The growth is just happening by itself. Yeah. You know? well, on that note, I want to kind of talk about the stock repurchase programs. Yeah. And so if you look at their annual report, it it's very apparent to us that, you know, they've been pretty aggressive at buybacks. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at their the cash flow statements, um, they've been start they've been really purchasing aggressively since two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, around that around that time. And and last year alone they spent six hundred million repurchasing the stock. And so I think you made some comments about that yesterday. You want to tell the audience about sure. the stock repurchase programs? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think the the thing that you want whenever you're looking at a business is, so we had mentioned NVR, right, yeah. as a, a couple episodes ago. Um, and NVR was buying back like 5% of their, 5 to 10%, depending on their price. Um, you want to look at it from the perspective of, Ulta, as we'll talk about when we get to valuation, is very expensive, mm-hmm. right? And they're buying back a bunch of their shares, and they're 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 indiscriminate as to when they do the buyback, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you obvi- obviously get more bang for your buck when you buy when it's undervalued than sure. when it's overvalued, yep. right? And it's not necessarily a good use of capital. So you know I, what I would prefer to see, and this is not necessarily like you know doesn't kill the deal necessarily uh, for me, but you want to see a company that is constantly buying back 
when it's undervalued or mm-hmm. being aggressive when it's undervalued and you know pulling back the reins when it's overvalued yeah and i i don't see that with these guys they're 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 buying back and it's kind of a constant thing mm-hmm. um and they were more aggressive i think partly because the stock price dipped you know uh last year and maybe that's why they were more aggressive at the time mm-hmm. but they you know now that the stock price has kind of come back they're still being very aggressive with their purchases yeah so exactly just to give you a little context about you know how aggressive they are being with their buyback, let me see. Here we go. Yeah. So on March 12, 2019, the company board of directors approved a new share purchase authorization of $875 million. Uh, so since 2014, Alta Beauty has returned $1.5 billion through share repurchase program. Right. So they're, they're quite aggressive with that. Yeah. But yeah. it still only represents about six or seven percent of their current market cap right yeah. whereas when you look at an nvidia or i'm sorry not nvidia uh nvr VR. they were actually buying back that amount every year yeah you know so so you know if you're looking at this as the is this a share price cannibal right are they buying back their shares aggressively uh, they're not there yet i mean they're not a cheap enough for them to make that you know that free cash flow to translate into mm-hmm. huge um you know, amount because their free cash flow, even at this, is less than five percent of their market cap every year. Yeah. Right. So their free cash flow yield, which is the free cash flow divided by the market cap, is less than five percent. That's, you know, that tells you that you you would want that number to be more like ten percent. Yeah. Right? That's when it's undervalued. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Let's uh. Let's talk a little bit about management uh for a second here and sure. um. You know, is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders' interests? Um, you know, so are they aligned with the shareholders, I guess? Yeah. Um, obviously, as with any large public companies, their sto- their compensation plan is, you know, split between stock, st- uh, stock-based compensation and cash. Yeah. And, uh, and for the executive pay, the kind of the performance, for por- performance um, they, they, they look at EBIT. Mm-hmm. Which is we talked about it in the previous episodes. Uh, we talked. I think we talked about it in Skechers or something like that. I don't yeah. remember exactly. But EBIT is a target the, that they're kind of looking after, and this is important because you know the board of directors can say, forget about EBIT, forget about profit margins, just growth, 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 and that's not something that we look for in companies. And EBIT is a better measurement for sure. Right, and it's better than net income, you know, because they don't control their tax rates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the government that controls those. So yeah. So you would want to see, uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's the right metric for almost every business to look at. Yeah. And incentivization, you know, to have skin in the game, I think, I think it's a yes. Um, you know, the, the stock war programs, I mean, let's just give you this right here. Um, so the chief, chief executive in 20, 2017 took home, uh, $7.5 million mm-hmm. and, um, uh, Let's see. Yeah. The compensation plan, stock awards, option awards, non-equity incentive plan compensation, they're, they trump the base salary. The base salary is one, $1 million. They're taking home $7 million home. And then a lot of it has to do with their performance. And so skin in the game, absolutely yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. It's not the ideal setup. Like, you know, this, comp- this company was founded by this person, all that. Right. But... She's a hired gun, but at the end of the day, 
I think the incentivization is still there. Yeah, and it, it, she has a kind of a weird history too. It's not um, not really in this space. Yeah, like she was at U.S. Cellular. Yep, um, and then McDonald's before that. Yeah, um, I mean, not necessarily bad. Yeah. I think she's done a very good job with yeah. the company. Yeah, uh, um, we're talking about Mary Dillon is the name of the CEO. Mm-hmm. She's done a very good job with the company, but I I often wonder she was already on the. Uh, she landed on a snowball that was already rolling downhill, right? It's true. So, it, you know, and in a lot of cases, management is not, doesn't really steer the company um, in, in this uh, case. So, you know, it, it, it comes down to the question that we were asking before, are are they handling, you know, the shareholder, you know, profits, right? The yeah. free cash flow yeah. in a, you know, a shareholder friendly way. And yeah. we talked a little bit about the buyback yeah. program, Um you know, they don't pay a dividend. Yep. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, on, on that buyback? Like, what would you, you know, in an ideal world, what would you prefer to see? So let me like kind of put it, put it in a different way. Let's say you and I are running the company. What, yep. would, we do, what, would, you, what would we do yep. with that free cash? I think what I would do is probably put it in, park it in um, high-yielding, um, you know, securities for, for the time being. I think that's the best use of, use of the capital. Yeah, accumulate it until the stock price exactly. drops, right? That's and then what I would you, do. And then you, when it does, you just go and buy just a whole bunch of it. A whole bunch of it, yeah. and then you know. Yeah. I, I to me, that's that would be the right answer. Like, let's not put it in directly back into the buyback, because there's going to be a time when a recession hits or something. Yeah. Stock price tanks, and you just walk in and yep. clean out. Uh, it's actually, yeah, if you look at it that way, it's also very good for the shareholders, right? Yeah. When the stock price dips, yeah. you're there to support, you know, you're there to support the price. Right. It's not going to fall infinite, you know, infinitely. Yeah, yeah I, I think that to me that is the, the better use of capital um, than that. I don't agree with dividends on principle. Like that's... Especially for, for a growing company like this. Yeah, for a growing company like this, you have excess capital. You could pay a dividend, yeah. but a dividend is dumb, right? Yeah. In almost every scenario, a dividend is dumb. Yeah. And I know that attracts a lot of institutional investors yep. and people who are, you know, retirees. Oh, I, I need an income. Well, if you need an income, just sell some of the shares. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand what the... Your dividend is going to get taxed at the highest Higher rate. level, yeah. So, all right. Exactly. You'll stop yeah. being crotchety. <laughs> um so is management open and honest? You know, do you do you see any red flags there about yeah. how they they talk? Yeah, on on that question, I I don't see any red flags, glaring red flags. Um, I think the management has been pretty open about about most of their of their operation. Yeah. So I think that's that's you know it's good for me. Yeah, I think the 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 best way to tell them we can't do this with this company is when things go badly. How do they react? Yeah. Right when everything's going well. Oh yeah, the management's. Really, you know, they're stand-up people, right? Mm-hmm. Hard to tell with a company when they're just crushing it year, year over year. So that's true. All right, um, let's move on to the 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 meat of this mm-hmm. uh, on the valuation side. Mm-hmm. So I think let's you know before we we talk about that, let's mention let's talk about circle of competence. Sure. You know, so t- tell us about you know give us the the why do we need to. N- yeah. The circle of competence. Is this something that we can understand? Yeah. I mean, that's, again, if you look at the checklist, that's the first thing that we ask ourselves. Is yep. this something that we can understand? Right. If you can't, step away from it. Yeah. 
But this has been a really good exercise for me to kind of get into this and yeah. understand our field. Because, you know, as value investors, we're always trying to improve and enlarge in our circle of competence. Yeah. And it's important, especially in the valuation phase, I think. Right. You know, because in valuations, we use, you know, this kind of cash flow model to project out the value of the company. But you are making a whole whole, whole slew of assumptions. Right. To, to get there. So unless you really know and have intimate knowledge of the industry and the company itself, it's very hard. It's it's very it's difficult to justify those assumptions. Yep. Uh, and that's why circle competence is very very important. Right. Yeah. Anything so, you want to add there? Yeah. So I I would say you know specifically with these these guys right yeah. we're not experts in the beauty skincare space right I'm yeah. just calling it out right yeah. it's not something that we couldn't learn about sure but on my day to day routine you know I'm reading the newspaper I'm checking you know looking up stuff on the web. Yep. Beauty and skincare are just not part of my go-to, right? <laughs> so I'm just not going to look that stuff up. Yep. And so that means that um, I don't have built-up knowledge over years yep. of, of that industry, and I don't have knowledge. I would have to actively seek it out, mm -hmm. right? And I would have to change my routine and to understand it. So that's not to say that you can't learn something. You mm -hmm. can't expand your circle. But to me, I feel like we can give you our estimates right of growths and, and growth and, and based on historical values and stuff like that mm -hmm. but i can't answer the question of what would it take to come and disrupt this moat right what how do i you know exactly. assume that this growth rate that we're about to give you is going to stay there 10 years from now right? it's hard it's really hard for very me. very hard yeah exactly so all right so with that with that being said mm -hmm. um and i i would i would just before i move on one more thing circle of competence is actually the most important aspect of investing i think most people forget that circle of competence is it's very easy to to overestimate your own intelligence mm -hmm. right or your own knowledge base <laughs> yeah right this one is easier for us right but there are plenty of companies where we think we know what we're doing and that's almost always where we make mistakes mm -hmm. as long-term investors right is overestimating our entire in knowledge you know warren buffett has talked about this um and, he, you know, he is obviously he's right on every one of these, you know, topics. So just be aware of that when you, you think about it. Circle of competence is really important. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about their, you know, what are what's your valuation here? What do you think um, uh, this thing is worth? Yeah. So let's start with, you know, this kind of cash flow. It takes a few inputs. First is initial cash flow and kind of project it out with growth rates. Yep. And I we, we kind of chunk it into three different segments. So in the first first year to th the third year, the growth rate we assumed was around thirty percent. I think that's pretty reasonable given the fact that it's been growing at thirty percent in terms of free cash flow for ten years. It might slow down, but in the next three years, I yeah. don't see it kind of slowing down too much. So let's give it thirty years okay. or thirty percent, and then it kind of progressively slows down in our model. So a thirty percent, a one to three, and then. Uh, and then 20%, 4 to 6, and then 10%, 7 to 10. Yep. If we do that and we discount at 10%, and you know, discount rate 10% is important for us because that's kind of our, our, our what is the best next opportunity, right? Right, which in this case is the S&P 500. S&P 500. The next best safest opportunity. Safest opportunity, yeah. 10% right. is being generous, really, but 10% yep. for easy math. And shares outstanding, this is... Uh, you know, 60 million, 60 million shares outstanding, zero debt, and then 400 million in, in cash. Yep. So we kind of add that back in. 
and we project out. And the intrinsic value is about two hundred, two hundred eighty dollars, two hundred eighty-four dollars. Yeah. For so us. for reference, uh, what is the the stock? Uh, the price uh, that. When I was looking at this last week, it was 347 and if we look at Ulta Beauty, right now, the stock price, give us one second. It's, three, it's about 350 350 Yeah. So, okay, so given that info, 350 yeah. so we're still below our, I mean, the yeah. current price is above our intrinsic value. Yeah. So not, not you know, in the realm of possibility right now exactly and i want to give you a little bit more statistics because i think people use a lot of pe for pe stuff like that to kind of get a you know sense of of where this is in terms of valuation if you look at pe it's a uh, 31 mm-hmm. and then four p of 27 if we project out because they they give you guidance on 2019 if we project out um so EPS, still expensive yeah eps of 10 currently and forward eps of 12.75 cents uh, for pe if you if you do the math 31 for current pe tr- uh, you know past 12 uh 12 12 uh, 12 trailing 12 months yeah sorry and then forward forward pe of 27 yeah so given given that it doesn't sound like there's an, a margin of safety i mean even if we were if the stock were trading at 280 dollars yeah. right it would still be too expensive for us to yeah um and yeah, yeah so so give us give us a very aggressive kind of growth yeah. you know going forward what would that look like yeah i think what? for this price to be justifiable for our end you know with enough cushion and everything you would have to grow at 30% for next 10 years right right i mean that's that's the kind of growth that we want to achieve that you need to achieve for this price to be justified if you do 30, 30% growth rate for the next 10 years, given this given this initial cash flow, the intrinsic value comes down to about 427, which is below the, the current price. Let's do a little math here and let's just say, yeah. E- e- even if we kind of tone it down, the company has to grow at the growth rate of 30% for six years and then again at 20% for the last, last three years, so set from 7 to 10th. That would that would be right at the level of where the current price is in terms of intrinsic value. Yeah. So I mean, just looking at it, you know, I mean, look, a price to earnings of thirty is difficult to swallow, right? Yeah. And I think where where we would also see this is in the event that they had a, a significant drop in their share price. Yeah. And then they went and did an aggressive share buyback, yep. like NVR does, right? Yep. NVR d- grows at like eight percent a year. But their free cash flow per share growing at like thirty percent a year mm-hmm. because of that aggressive buyback, yeah, buyback. Yeah. right? So that 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 is where I'm. I would be most interested in a company like this, is if I know you have a sustainable moat, which I think they do, and you're not growing as fast, and but you're generating a lot of free cash flow, and then you take that free cash flow and buy back a ton of shares. Yeah, that to me is where this would be it's inter- interesting yeah. because Could right be. now this share price is expensive. They're at the stage in their life life cycle where growth is not going to be the big driver for them. They're going to be generating a lot of cash. Um, it's yeah. they're certainly not in decline or anything like that. Yeah. You know, they're they'll continue to grow, 
um, at above, you know, more than inflation, I would say, for a long time. For sure. But they need to be, you know, more reasonably pi- priced for that buyback to actually matter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I think the, the CEO fully recognizes that. And that's why from, you know, as soon as she got on board in 2013, she instituted, uh, you know, the buyback program and she's been really aggressive with it. I don't disagree, but I think she's done it incorrectly, right? You know, just, you know, buying it at, at when your PE is 30, I mean, is essentially like buying uh, 50 cents for a dollar. Yeah, right? kind you of know? throwing the money out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's throwing them, spending money in a, and, and and this is not just her, it's the board and all that. Exactly. Too, so. There's a lot of pressure from outside. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. Well, I think, you know, covered everything on our checklist, um, kind of talked through that. I think this is a very interesting company. I'm, I've learned, you know, quite a lot about, you know, how well they are run. They're, right? Yeah, they're quite, yeah. Very well run business, but not necessarily, not every good business is a good investment, right? So. Exactly, yeah. But something, I would say this though, something to keep on our checklist for sure. Yeah. You know, in case the, the stock price just tanks or something yeah, like no, that. If, yeah, if the stock price dropped to $200 a share, you know. Very interesting to look Very at. interesting you yeah. know, company. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's it for us. Uh, any, un- any more kind of final thoughts that you want to add before we close out? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, I, I think the main things for us to learn, you know, here and kind of why we talked about this company was about really about the circle of competence and, you know, understanding that this is a great business. I'd be very interested in it, but I would have to do a lot of work to, you know, continue to maintain an investment here because this is just not, it's not in my wheelhouse. You yeah. know, I, I don't spend a lot of time in beauty shops. You can see that from my face. <laughs> um, so, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to learn about it, you yeah. can, um, we're going to have to do more work, I think. Exactly. So, Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this is Ulta Beauty. Certainly a very interesting, very interesting uh, company. All right. Um, do we want to announce what we want to talk about in the next episode? Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to talk about another company that uh, I think is pretty hot right now, which is uh, Lyft. Um, so they, they just uh, went public um, about a week ago. And what is interesting about them is, uh, you know, they're very popular, very fast-growing revenue, you know, top line. Um, but I, I think the thing that'll be interesting about them is, can they ever be profitable, right? Like, you know, Ulta started out and they probably didn't make money their first few years. Yeah. Um, but then they soon hit a stride where they were profitable. Exactly. Um, you know, how, how is Lyft going to do that? is it possible for them to do that? Yeah. Right. And they've got a competitor breathing down their neck. That's, you know, five times as big as they are. So, uh, so let's, uh, yeah, that, I think it'll be an interesting yeah, discussion. That sounds great. We'll talk about Lyft next time, guys. Stay tuned. And, uh, thank you for joining us and follow us on Twitter, hit us on Instagram, all, all those things. Uh, we'd be happy to chat with you guys. Yeah. So info at valueinvestor.org for the checklist or just to ask any questions and yep. val- at value investor TV. Yep. Sounds good. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you on the next one. All right. Thanks.